privilege to worship with you today. If you don't know who I am, my name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here at the chapel. I'm usually at our Port Clinton campus because that's where I serve. So it truly is great to just be with you and also all of you online as well. And so before we jump into our message today, just want to invite you to come worship with us on Good Friday. We are having two services here at the chapel at all of our campuses. We are having a 1210 and a 610 uh, p.m. service. And so we'd love to see you come out and worship with us on Good Friday. And then, of course, Easter's right around the corner, even though it doesn't seem like it outside today. Uh, but Easter is coming up, and so we just want to share our service times with you and invite you to one of our services. And so here in Sandusky, we have a Saturday night, April 16th, service at 5 p.m., also at our Norwalk campus. And then at all three of our campuses, we are having an 8.30, a 10, and an 11.30 service on Easter Sunday. So hopefully you plan to join us and spend your Easter here at the chapel. We love to worship with you today. Today we are going through and continuing our message series titled Gentle and Lowly. It's based on a book by Dane Ortland, where we're looking at the very character of who God is. And so today, as we begin, I just want you to kind of place your minds and place your thoughts and really imagine yourself as a Jewish disciple 2,000 years ago. And as a Jewish disciple... You are awaiting and eagerly awaiting this Messiah, this promised Messiah that has been promised in the Old Testament that would come and liberate Israel from their bondage of foreign power. And at this point, that foreign power is Rome. And then one day, as you're just faithfully following the law, you see this man by the name of Jesus of Nazareth. He comes and he is baptized by John the Baptist. And at his baptism, you witness him being anointed by the Spirit of God as Israel's Messiah, as Israel's King. And in that moment, you would be so excited because that means the Messiah is here. The King has arrived. Israel is going to be liberated. And for the next three years... You have the privilege of following Jesus, this King, this Messiah, who's going to deliver you. And in those three years, this Jesus teaches you. He loves you. He guides you. He leads you. In those three years, you see him heal the sick, heal the blind, heal the lame, feed thousands of people, and even hear that he walks on water. You watch him show grace, show mercy and compassion on the lowly, the contrite, and the outcasts. After some time, Jesus starts to do things a little differently than some of the leaders of the church and of Israel. And so because of that, things start to get heated, and the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes of Israel don't like this Jesus because he is teaching things that are a little bit different, and you hear word that these people, these leaders, in fact, want to put this Jesus to death, and they keep seeking out ways to kill him. But there's no way that they can kill him, can they? He's the Messiah. He's the promised one. He's the one that's going to liberate Israel from this foreign suppression, from this foreign power. Him dying, him being killed makes no 
sense. But from that point on, even Jesus himself begins to say some things that catch you off guard. From that point on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of the religious law. He would be killed, but that on the third day he would be raised from the dead. This news from Jesus would be very unsettling to you and to all the other disciples, those who followed him, so much so that you would look to an audacious disciple to stand up and say something to Jesus, that Jesus doesn't know who he's, what he's talking about. And so an audacious disciple named Peter is like, okay, I'll step up and say something to Jesus. And so Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord, he said, this will never happen to you. Peter was basically saying, Jesus, you can't suffer. You can't die. That's not the way that this is supposed to go. That's not the best way for us. If you know this story, you know that this doesn't sit well with Jesus. Jesus responds here. He says, to Peter, he says, get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things from merely a human point of view and not from God's. Jesus rebukes Satan here, not Peter, because Satan's trying to get Jesus from going to the cross, from doing what he came to do. And in so doing in this rebuke, he's also revealing to Peter and all of these other disciples that the, the whole time they had been following him, the whole time that they were following him, watching him do these things, they were seeing things from a human point of view and not from God's. From the time of Jesus' baptism all the way to the time to this point, you and the other disciples believed that your way was best. You see, in this situation, the disciples were trying to fit God and his ways into our small little boxes. What the disciples quickly learned that day, and what we're going to learn today, is that God's thoughts and God's ways are always best. God's thoughts and God's ways are always best. We're going to see how his ways are not our ways, how his thoughts are not our thoughts, and how that is a good thing for us in our lives. Even if it doesn't feel like it in the moment. Now, saying that God's thoughts and that God's ways are always best is a bold statement because if we're all honest in here today, sometimes God's ways and God's thought don't seem best for us. There are some of you in this room today who are going through some pretty tough situations and circumstances where you question and think, God, is this the best way? God, is this where you want me to go? God, is this what you want me to endure? Can we all just be honest in here and say, yeah, we go through those situations and we have those questions and we do question God's ways sometimes just like Peter did? We do. 
So the real question we have to ask today is, how do, how do we know this to be true? How can we trust that God's ways and God's thoughts are always best? Well, we can trust that his thoughts and his ways are best because he, the God of the universe, the God who created all things, the God who formed you before the foundations of the world, the God who sustains all things, the God who holds everything together, the God who knows you by name, who is close to us, who is with us, that God we can trust that his thoughts and his ways are best because he tells us. Like a loving father, he tells us that his thoughts and his ways are best. So we can depend on God and his word. That's actually our first value here at the chapel is that we want to depend on God and his word. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Isaiah chapter 55. Isaiah chapter 55, it's going to be up on the screens for you. If you do have your Bible and you don't know where Isaiah is, just kind of try to open it to the middle and you'll be really close, okay? I promise you that. And so we're going to see in Isaiah 55 how God's thoughts and God's ways are best for you and for me today. We're going to begin by looking at Isaiah 55, 8 through 9. 8 through 9, and then we're going to go back and look at the other verses. Isaiah 55, 8 through 9 says, My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. In this beautiful, wonderful passage, we see three reasons why we can trust that God's thoughts and God's ways are always best for us today. First, we see that his thoughts are nothing like our thoughts. This word thought here refers to not only what God is thinking, but also it refers to his intentions and his plans. So his thought process, his intentions, what he intends to do, and also the plans that he sets forth for the world and for you and for me today. In this one statement, God is making a clear distinction between his thoughts, intentions, and plans Versus the thoughts, intentions, and plans of humanity, of you and me. Just like Jesus did with Peter. How Jesus alluded to this concept. There's a God's point of view, and then there's a human point of view. And how distinct and different they are. You see, this distinction should comfort us because God is showing us that his thought process is so far from resembling our thought process. And that should comfort us today for a few reasons, because we all know how evil our thoughts can be. Have you ever been cut off while driving before? Are you thinking good thoughts in that moment? Like uplifting, joyful, happy thoughts? No, you're not. Do you know how destructive our intentions can be? We have good intentions sometimes, and we want to do good things, and yet they end up pretty destructive. I see this sometimes in my marriage a little bit. You know, my wife, her love language is food. And so usually I'm like, oh, I'll be such a great husband and I'm going to get a cheesecake, one of her favorite, and I'm going to bring it home to her. But I didn't know on that day, I, apparently I was supposed to know just without knowing. Is that a thing? And I was supposed to know that that day she didn't want cheesecake. She was kind of trying to watch her figure. 
And then the day I'm like, oh, I won't bring cheesecake home today because she's trying to work on some things and I don't come home with cheesecake, guess what? It doesn't go well for me. It's like the Hunger Games, the odds. I have no idea. You see, our intentions are the best of intentions and yet we fall short constantly, don't we? They're destructive. We all know how our plans can also be prideful and selfish. You see, our, our thoughts can be evil. Our intentions can be destructive. Our, our plans can be prideful and selfish, but not God. Not God. For his thoughts are nothing like our thoughts. Nothing like our thoughts. You see, God wants us to understand that he is not some mortal man with evil thoughts intentions, and plans. He wants us to understand how much more marvelous, how much more splendid his thoughts, intentions, and plans are for you and for me. He wants us to know how superior his thoughts are from yours and mine and how we can't fit them into the expectation of our human intuition. Meaning we can't take God's thoughts and fit them into our small little human point of view box because his thoughts are nothing like ours. What's amazing is is that throughout Scripture and, and what we see in our lives, is that we see this to be true, don't we? Because throughout Scripture and throughout our lives, what we just worshiped God for, being a mighty fortress, giving us living water, all of these different things, what we read is that, that God's thoughts are supreme and that they're thoughts of love, righteousness, goodness, and freedom. God's thoughts are nothing like ours. Second, we see that his ways are far beyond our ways. So his thoughts, what he's thinking, his plans, his intentions are nothing like ours, but also his actions, what he actually does is far different from ours. They're far beyond our ways. This also should instill comfort in our hearts today. That word ways refers to his conduct, his course of action, how he operates, what he actually does for us. This makes sense because in human terms, we have thoughts and we have actions. Sometimes we act on our thoughts, sometimes we don't. And whether that's good or bad, we do those same things. And God's the same way in which he has these thoughts, but he also has his actions. And let me tell you, how God operates, what he actually does for us, is far beyond what we could ever do for ourselves. And we see this to be true in the cross of Jesus Christ, right? That God has done for us what we could never do for ourselves. His ways are far beyond our ways. We know how evil our ways can be. How selfish our ways can be. How hurtful they can be. We've all been the one hurting others, haven't we? We've also all been the one being hurt by others. But not God. For his ways are far beyond ours. 
God is communicating to us that he does not act or do things the way that sinful humanity does, and we should be grateful for that today. That his ways are far beyond ours. And what's amazing is that throughout Scripture and in our lives, we see this to be true. We see that, God, we see that God's ways are supreme and that there are ways of compassion, ways of pardon, mercy, grace, forgiveness. The list goes on. We see that God's ways are far beyond our ways. But it's really important to remember the third thing here today, that God's thoughts, yes, are different from ours, are far beyond ours. God's ways are far beyond ours, but they're not just different. It's not like we're on this some same level playing field here, and his are just different and better. His are higher. His are higher. Meaning his thoughts and his ways are more magnificent. They're more splendid, more glorious than we finite creatures can ever imagine. His thoughts and his ways are, more, are just inexhaustible for us to understand and to grasp. I, I love what Dane Ortland says in his book. He says, God's ways and thoughts are not our ways and thoughts, and that his are thoughts of love and ways of compassion that stretch to a degree beyond our mental horizon. His thoughts, his ways stretch to a degree beyond our horizon of what we can see, of what we can do. His ways are higher. That's a hard pill for all of us to swallow, isn't it? Because there are many of us in this room, a.k.a. all of us, who at times think our thoughts and our ways are best compared to other people and also sometimes compared to God. How we want to fit God into our own small little box and say, you know what, God, you're great and all, but my thoughts and my ways are better. If you're struggling to grasp this distinction here today, the fact that God's thoughts are nothing like ours, how his ways are far beyond our ways and how they're not just different, but they're higher. If you're struggling to grasp this, we see a glimpse of this distinction in the parent child relationship, don't we? So as a child, we thought we knew it all, and we thought we could do it all, didn't we? And as parents, you know that your children do not know it all and cannot do it all. Do you have a child like that? I know I do. One of my five, she is seven, and she thinks she knows all, and she thinks she can do all. And as a parent, I get to have these loving conversations with my seven-year-old trying to get her to understand that I do know better in certain circumstances and I do, my ways are better than her ways. And she has still yet to figure this out. Do you have a child like that? And like I said, maybe you were that child. You see, I get to sit with my daughter, and we get to have these loving, loving conversations, and I get to share with her how, you know what, my thoughts are better than hers. Not because I'm better miraculously, it's just because I'm older, right? I have some gray in my, in my beard up here. My ways, I know how to do things a little better. It's, not, it's because I'm older. I've been through it. 
And as her father, I care for her so much that I want to help her. I want to walk with her. I want to love her. I want to be there. So, so the other day, a couple weeks ago, we, I was sitting down. We were talking, and I'm telling you, she is just a strong-willed little girl, okay? So, so I'm sitting there, and I'm just explaining to her how, like, you, you don't know best in this situation, and, and what you did is not right. Here's what you should have done. I'm trying to lay it all out for her in a very loving way, and she looks at me with these eyes. I've never been scared of my seven-year-old until that moment, all right? So she looked at with the, these defiant eyes, just staring intently into my, and making a face. I'm telling you, like, my heart was, like, beating really fast. And she looked at me and she said, I can't wait till I'm a parent. And I said, oh, yeah, why is that? And she said, so I can rule. (laughs) It's going to be really interesting teen years for me. When it comes to our relationship with God, how often are we like that? How often do we look at God and say, you know what? I know better than you, and I can do more than you. I don't need you. As much as we see this in this parent-child relationship, we see this in our spiritual lives with our Father in heaven. His thoughts and his ways are higher than ours. That's who he is. But you know what? Here's the beauty of our God, a God who is, who, whose thoughts are higher, whose, whose ways are better than ours. A God like that, you think, would be some far-off, cold, distant God who had no regard for the low-life scum here on earth, right? You, you would think that he would just kind of be waiting till we reached a certain point so we could approach him finally, and he would say, good, I was waiting for you to figure life out, and then you can come to me. But we know that that's not our God, right? We know that that's not who he is. He is not far off, cold, and distant. Rather, look what he says in Isaiah 57, 15. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place. We have to stop there because, listen, God is showing us where he is. That's where God is, not us, not you, not me. He is high and lifted up. He inhabits eternity. He is holy. He dwells in the high and holy place. But, but God does not stay there and wait for us. Rather, he is also with him who is of contrite And lowly spirit. And why does he go to the contrite and lowly spirit? To revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. That's who our God is. His thoughts are nothing like ours. His ways are far beyond ours. But he's not far off, cold, and distant. Rather, he is right with the lowly and contrite of heart. He is right with you and me today. Just like me as a father, I don't look at my daughter in, in, in shame and guilt and saying, wow, you're seven and you don't know how to, to do certain things and you don't know what you're doing in life. 
No. As a father, I kneel down next to her and I invite her into my embrace because I love her and I want to teach her and I want to invite her into following me because hopefully I'll lead her in a direction that goes well for her. God does the same thing for you and for me today. God is, his thoughts and his ways are higher than us. The question for you and for me is to realize, are we okay with that? Are we okay with that today? God is not far off, distant, and cold. Rather, he invites us to forsake our human thoughts, our human ways. He, he invites us to let go of our human point of view, and he invites us into his God's point of view. He invites us into his thoughts and into his ways that are higher than ours. That's the beauty of our God. He doesn't leave us here alone. He invites us into what he is doing. And we see that in Isaiah 55 from verses 1 to 7. And so in those verses, we see three ways how God invites us into his thoughts and into his ways. First, we see that he invites us to come to him and buy without price. This is beautiful. Look at this. Is anyone thirsty? Come and drink. Even if you have no money, come take your choice of wine or milk. It's all free. Why spend your money on food that does not give you strength? Why pay for food that does you no good? You see, man's idea is that it's transactional. We have this idea that you have a good, I want the good, so I pay for the good, and you give it to me. Man's idea of life is transactional. If we want to receive something, if we want to go somewhere, that's man's logic, but you know what? That's temporary satisfaction. But in these verses, we see that God offers us eternal soul satisfaction for free. He says, come to me and, and buy without price. He says, come to me for free. You don't have to work it up. Man's logic says you have to earn it. You have to buy it. God's way, God's thoughts that you can come to him for free with nothing. And he will let you drink and eat and celebrate. God invites us to come into his thoughts, into his ways, because he knows that it's through his thoughts and his ways that we can experience eternal soul satisfaction. Look at the second invite. He says he invites us to listen to him so we can eat what is good. He invites us to listen to him so we can eat what is good. Look at what he says, Isaiah 55, 2 and 3. Listen to me and you will eat what is good. You, en you will enjoy the finest food. Come to me with your ears wide open. Listen and you will find life. And you will find life. So not only does he say, come to me and buy without price, but he says, listen to me and you're going to find life. If we follow the words of, of culture and the world and of man, of people who don't honor or love God, you know what that's going to do? That's going to lead to rotten fruit and destruction. But yet, if we listen to God's voice, to God's thought, what God wants us to know about him, what God wants us to know about ourselves, where does that lead us to? It leads us to good fruit, the finest foods, 
It leads us to life. We see that in our diet plans, don't we? When we eat healthy, when we eat good food, you feel better, you sleep better, you act better, all of it. And yet when you get into your little ruts and you start eating pretty unhealthy, what happens? You're angry, you don't feel good, you don't sleep well. And that happens spiritually too. When we listen to the wrong voices, it's not life-giving, it's life-threatening. But when we listen to God and his voice, it leads to life. God invites us into his thoughts, into his ways, and if we listen to him, it's going to lead to life. That's why he invites us in, because he wants us to experience that. And the last invitation we see is that he invites us to seek and call upon him for mercy. He invites us to seek and call upon him for mercy. Look what he says, Isaiah 55, 6 and 7. Seek the Lord while you can find him. Call on him now while he is near. Let the wicked change their ways and banish the very thought of doing wrong. Let them turn to the Lord that he may have mercy on them. That he may have mercy on them. Yes, turn to our God for he will forgive generously. How often do we do things for our own glory? How often do we think, do things in, in our own way and act on our own thoughts, disregarding God and his glory? But our ways and thoughts usually lead to destruction. But if we seek and call upon God, guess what? He just says that if you seek and call upon me, it's going to lead to mercy and it's going to lead to forgiveness. God invites us to seek and call upon him because he knows that his thoughts and his ways lead to this mercy and forgiveness that all of us desperately need. Three invitations for us to to listen to today. Three invitations for you to truly think about in your life. Come to me and buy without price, God says. Listen to me. So you can eat what is good. Seek and call upon me for mercy and forgiveness. God's thoughts are nothing like our thoughts. His ways are far beyond our ways. But he is not far off from you and me today. Rather, he is gentle and lowly in heart and he invites us into his thoughts and ways. He invites us to forsake our own thoughts and ways so we can enter into his so that our hearts and our spirits can experience life and revival. That's what God wants from you and me this morning. That's what God invites us into. Listen, I know in our lives we go through circumstances and situations that are really hard. I know people in this room right now who are going through some really tough circumstances. But you know what? God never promises a life of ease and perfection, does he? And if you believe that, if you believe God does promise that, guess what? You're going to live a life of, man, some expectations not being met. God never promises that. But you know what God does promise? We We just read it. God promises that if you... Go to him. You can buy without price. Why? Because Jesus paid it all. It's been paid for you. 
He promises that if you listen to him, you will find life. Guess what Jesus tells us in John 14? He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So if you listen to Jesus, who's the way, the truth, and life, guess what it's going to lead to? Life. And then God promises that if we seek and call upon him, we're not going to be met with rejection. Rather, we are going to be met with mercy and forgiveness. Why? Because Jesus Christ died for us while we were still sinners. You see, God never promises us perfect lives, but God does promise us to enter into his ways and enter into his thoughts. The question for you and for me today is are we going to accept it? Are you going to take that step Our mission statement is to move one step closer to God and each other through Christ. So what steps are you going to take today? What circumstance are you going through right now where you need to turn to him to find soul satisfaction? You've been seeking things of this world and they're not fulfilling. And so what in your life do you need to turn to the Lord to find that eternal soul satisfaction? What area of your life do you need to listen to God so that you can eat the good food and experience life? Are the voices of man, are the voices of culture overshadowing God's voice in your life? And lastly, what part of your life do you need to forsake so you can experience God's mercy and forgiveness? Whether you're brand new to this journey of faith, maybe you need to forsake your entire life and give your life to Christ for the first time and trust in Jesus and his resurrection. Or maybe you're farther along and and you haven't been walking with Jesus and, and you're straying away. What do you need to give up so you can run back to him for mercy and forgiveness? No matter where you're at, the door's wide open. And like I said before, the question is, is are you okay that God's thoughts and his ways are higher than ours? And are you willing to accept? Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your grace and your mercy shown to us through your son, Jesus Christ. God, we thank you that your thoughts are nothing like ours, that your ways are far beyond ours, Lord, because if they weren't, you would not be worthy of worship. And yet, you are worthy of worship because you are God and we are not. I pray that all of us in this room this morning would enter into your thoughts, that we would enter into your ways, that we would take your invitations and go to you and listen to you and seek you and call upon you in life, even in the hardest circumstances when it doesn't make sense, Lord, that we would lean into you and your will for us. And so, God, we give you all the glory today, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. It was 